Thank you for joining us around the fire. For more information or to make a donation, please visit randomactsnetwork.com. Now, want to hear a scary story? It was a few nights before Christmas, and the locals were busy making extensive preparations for the festival. The narrow streets, usually thronged with people, were now almost deserted, and the last shops open were rapidly closing for the night. In the comfortable coffee room of the old Boar's Head, half a dozen guests, mostly travelers for work, sat talking by the light of the fire. The talk had drifted from trade to politics, from politics to religion, and naturally from religion to the supernatural. The first three stories fell flat, though they'd never failed before. It may have been the noise from outside or the well-lit interior of the room. A man snuffed the lanterns before telling the fourth story, and the streets had gone quiet and the room was enthralled. So enthralled that the entire group gasped when the waiter, George, spoke from the dark corner of the room, having been temporarily forgotten by the others. That's what I call a good story, he said in the low, flickering light of the fire. But there's a ghost in this very house, you know. The others, even the locals, hadn't heard of it. It dates back a long time now, the gentleman continued. But surely one of you has heard the name of Jerry Bundler. One of the others, a man named Hurst, spoke up. Well, I've just heard odds and ends, but I never put much count to them. But the staff would be sacked prompt if they even mentioned it. It's true, continued George. My father worked here before me and knew the story well. He was a truthful man and steady churchgoer, and he swore until he died that he had seen the ghost of Jerry Bundler in this house. He was a vagabond pickpocket and thief who checked in for Christmas some eighty years ago. He ate his last supper right here where we sit and went up to bed. A pocket watch had fallen from his pack to the floor, but when a runner attempted to deliver it to his room, not knowing it was stolen property, of course, there was no answer from the stout oak door. Assuming he'd fallen quickly asleep, they set the watch aside for him to retrieve at breakfast. In the morning, the man remained in his room. As the afternoon neared, the staff knocked on his door once again, obtaining no answer. One worker went out to the courtyard and with a short ladder climbed onto the windowsill while another waited outside the door. With a sudden smash of glass, the worker fell with a cry and landed in a heap on the stones below. As others gathered around him, they saw the pale face of the thief peeping down from the window above. Others joined the runner to break the door in, which had now been barred by heavy furniture. When they finally gained entrance, the first thing that met their eyes was the man's body, dangling from the top of the bed by his own handkerchief. Which bedroom was it? A man named Malcolm asked. The waiter shook his head. That I can't tell you, 
but the story goes that Bundler still haunts this house, and my father declared positively that the last time he slept here, the spirit lowered himself from the top of his bed and tried to strangle him. The group grumbled, eager to guess in which room the terrible events took place. There's nothing to fear, the waiter continued. I don't believe for a moment that ghosts could really hurt someone. My father confessed that it was the unpleasantness of it all that upset him the most. Jerry's fingers might have been made of cotton wool for all the harm they could do. A mix of frightened and frustrated, the bulk of the group began heading to bed. George refilled a handful of whiskey glasses for the men that remained, before leaving the room to begin his final tasks of the evening. Hurst scoffed at the waiter's bravery, telling the others he'd find a way to put him to the test. Leaving the fire, he ran lightly up the stairs to his room to wrangle about his proceedings. Nearly half an hour passed, and the others began to grow bored. Two more men had retired from the fire to their bedrooms, leaving only a pair left downstairs. Suddenly, George burst into the room and rushed towards them. "'He's here!' he shouted breathlessly, but the men only laughed. "'In the kitchen. I didn't look for seeing him. There's only a glimmer of light in there, and he was sitting on the floor behind the counter. I nearly trod on him.' The others continued laughing. "'You're frightened, George,' Malcolm said. "'You'll never make a man.' "'Well, it took me unawares,' said the waiter. Not that I'd have gone to the kitchen by myself if I'd known he was there, and I don't believe you would either, sir. Nonsense, the man retorted. I'll go and fetch him now. But George stopped him with a catch of his sleeve. You don't know what it's like, sir. It ain't fit to look by yourself. He was cut off by a smothered cry from the staircase and the sounds of someone stomping along the passage. Suddenly, the door flew open and a figure burst into the room. George yelled in fear and stumbled backwards as the others made fun. Lighting the lantern, George could now see it was only Hurst. He had changed into knee breeches and a coat, a massive wig gone awry, and his face was fully greased. As the light flickered in the glass of the windows, the group realized that Hurst was trembling and gasping for air. "'I've seen it,' said Hurst with a hysterical sob. "'Him, it, the ghost, whatever it is.' I was coming down the stairs, and I felt a tap. He broke off suddenly and peered nervously through the open door into the passage. I thought I saw it again, he whispered. No, there's nothing there, said George, whose own voice shook a little. Go on. You felt a tap on your shoulder. I turned round and saw it. A wicked, pale, white, dead face. That's what I saw in the kitchen, said George. Hurst shuddered and dropped into a chair. "'It's the last time I come to this house,' he stated. "'I leave tomorrow myself,' said George. "'I wouldn't return to that kitchen again for fifty pounds.' "'It's uttering the man's name that caused it, I expect,' said Hurst. "'Having it in our minds, practically we've been forming a spiritualistic circle without knowing it.' "'It's odd that they should both think they saw something,' said Malcolm, feeling uneasy for the first time. I saw it as plain as I see you, sir, said George, solemnly. Perhaps if you keep your eyes turned up the passage, you'll see it for yourself. They followed the direction of his finger, but saw nothing. We'll come down to the kitchen with me, said Malcolm, looking around. You can go if you like, said Hurst. We'll wait here for you. The stout traveler walked towards the door and took a few steps up the passage. Then he stopped. 
All was quite silent, and he walked slowly to the end and looked down fearfully towards the glass partition which shut off the kitchen. As he neared, he couldn't bring himself to go to it, and looking over his shoulder, rushed back to the room. "'Did you see it, sir?' whispered George. "'Nothing at all,' said Malcolm shortly. "'Even as I fancy seeing anything just now, I saw nothing.' Hurst sighed and finished his glass of whiskey. "'Oh, I feel better now. I dare say you think I'm easily scared, but you didn't see it.' "'Not at all,' said Malcolm, smiling faintly despite himself. "'I'm going to bed.' said Hurst, noticing the smile and resenting it. He rose from his seat and bid the company a friendly good night. Having heard his door close, Malcolm said, I never saw a man so scared in all my life. Sort of poetic justice about it, isn't there? But as he looked to George and the others, he saw fear in their eyes. One of them asked if anyone wanted to share a room for the night. I will, said Malcolm. The other man who remained, Mr. Leek, scoffed. "'I don't believe in ghosts,' he said. "'If anything comes into my room, I'll simply shoot it.' "'Bullets don't pierce spirits, Mr. Leek,' George suggested. "'Well, the noise would certainly wake the whole house,' he laughed. "'But if you're nervous, sir, the others will be only too pleased for you to sleep on the doormat inside their room, surely. "'If you gentlemen would only come down with me to put the gas out, I could never be sufficiently grateful.' Malcolm and his newfound roommate joined him, peering carefully before them as they went. They snuffed the light without issue and returned to the lobby, extinguishing the gas there, too, and leaving the small group in the dim light of a single candle. Suddenly, they distinctly heard a step in the passage outside. It stopped at the door, and as they watched with bated breath, the door creaked and slowly opened. Malcolm fell back open-mouthed as a white, leering face with sunken eyeballs and close-cropped bullet head appeared at the opening. For a few seconds, the creature stood regarding them, blinking in a strange fashion at the candle. Then, with a sliding movement, it came a little way into the room and stood there as if bewildered. Not a man spoke or moved, but all watched with a horrible fascination as the creature removed its dirty neckcloth, its broken neck allowing his head to flop onto its shoulder. For a minute it paused and then moved toward George with the cloth outstretched. There was a sudden flash and loud crashing noise and the candle went out. In the pitch black, the men heard the sounds of a chair moving and something writhing on the floor. George struck a match and leapt to light the burner again. Malcolm felt ahead of him, touching the thing on the floor and finding it soft. With the candle lit again, he kneeled down and examined the thing, then rose swiftly, dipping his handkerchief into the water jug and returning to wipe away the white face. Leek's pistol fell to the floor as Malcolm sprang back with a cry of incredulous horror, leaning against the wall, deathly sick, and falling into the waiter's arms. Nobody spoke. They simply stared, spellbound, at the still, dead face of Hurst on the floor before them.